Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold. The American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations present Mr. President. Mr. President at home in the White House, the elected leader of our country, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. Now, Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It's evening and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy day. Only one window on the ground floor shows a light. We enter and find ourselves in the president's study. Good evening. Sit down, won't you? Did you ever realize that out of the 32 presidents our country has had, half of them had military experience in ranks ranging from private on up? Yet, on the other hand, most of our war presidents and had always been civilians. Tonight's story originally happened to one of those men, and later on, of course, I'll tell you which one it was. But meanwhile, I think you may be able to guess. <clears throat> this story begins on the day I stood before the assembled House of Congress, finishing the most unwelcome, hateful task any president can have. statement to the press? Why? I haven't made any news yet. Oh, yeah. Well, it's news when a former president revisits the White House, sir. It seems like old times, sir, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, those were the good old times, weren't they? I'll try to have a statement for you after I've seen the president. Thank you, Colonel. Thank you. That's all right, boys. Hello, Ralph. It's good to see you again. Uh, come right in, Colonel. The president's expecting you, sir. Fine, fine. Ah. 
The White House doesn't seem to have changed at all, Ralph. No, sir, not much, sir. Uh, Ralph, what happened to the little table that used to be here? Oh, it got moved, sir, to the other end of the hall. Good, good. I never did like it here anyway. Uh, how you been feeling, Colonel? Is your health good? I must say I've never felt better, Ralph. Uh, is Miss Sarah still with the president? All oh, right, yes, sir. Miss Sarah, the colonel, to see the president. Oh, thank you, Ralph. Yes, sir. Hello, Miss Sarah. It's wonderful to see you again. <laughs> Welcome to the White House, Colonel. Miss Sarah, you haven't aged a day. Not a single day. <laughs> That's the nicest compliment you can pay a woman, Colonel. Nah, not a compliment. Just the truth. You're only as old as you think. Uh, is the president ready for me? I believe so, Colonel. Please go right in. Ah, fine, fine. Hello, Mr. President. Hello, Colonel. How are you? Would you like to try out your old chair behind the desk? <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, sir. I don't want you to think of me as former president. I am just another citizen coming to offer you my support in the war. We need every ounce of everybody's effort, Colonel. But please sit down, Mr. You? President, I thought your war statement to Congress was one of the great state papers of our entire national history. Thank you. But I'd much rather not have made it. I hate the whole idea of war. Ah. But there are times when no war is the only thing to do. I'm afraid so. I wouldn't be afraid about it. War makes nations great. Suffering turns soft nations into iron nations. Colonel, I hope someday the world will find a more efficient way of smelting. Justifying war that way always reminds me of having to burn down a whole barn just to roast a pig. <laughs> well, if we've got to burn down the whole barn, I'd say let's do it with a will. By all means. Aggressive warfare, Mr. President. Of course, as soon as we're ready. We can't let our allies carry all the load any longer. No, no, I have no intention of letting them. There's one thing that must be done at once. Troops must be sent to the firing line. The sooner they reach there, the stronger our voice will be when the time comes to make the peace. Of course, but there are some obstacles to sending troops as fast as you suggest, Colonel. The army must be increased enormously. Men have to be trained, ships built. The country has to be mobilized. Ah, nothing will mobilize the country faster than action, sir. That's uh, the real reason I've come today. The real reason? Yes, I want your permission to raise a volunteer division for immediate service at the front. Well, one division is of hardly any account of this war, Colonel. It will be the first blow, and it will be a way of sending troops quickly without waiting for the regular army to be increased and trained. Our enemies never thought we'd even enter the war. Now they believe it'll be a year before we have American armies actually fighting, and our allies are afraid of that, too. My division will disprove the hopes of the enemy and uh, the fears of our allies. Colonel, this is a very interesting suggestion, but of course, I'll have to talk it over with the Secretary of War. He's in favor of national conscription. Yes, of course, but uh, that does take time. Well, Colonel, I'm grateful for your support and for your coming here. Uh, would you let me think about your proposal? Of course. And let me add this. It'll be an honor to serve under you as Commander-in-Chief. Thank you, Colonel. Let me see you to the door, please. Good day, sir. <laughs> you know, for a moment, I was almost going to show you up. <laughs> <laughs> Old habits are strong, aren't they? <laughs> uh, Miss Sarah. Yes? Uh, the Colonel is leaving. Good day again, sir. Remember, action. Yes, yes, indeed, Colonel. Well, Miss Sarah, I hope to be seeing you soon again and still thinking as young as ever. <laughs> I'll do my best, Colonel. Uh, Ralph? Uh, yes, Miss Sarah? The Colonel's leaving. Goodbye, Miss Sarah. Goodbye. Come along, Ralph. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, Ralph, on second thought, I think that table ought to be up here. <laughs> Colonel, sir, moving little tables around is one of the few things a president can't do without an act of Congress. <laughs> Here's the front door, sir. 
Well, goodbye, Ralph. I hope to see you soon again. Uh, the sooner the better, Colonel. Uh, good day, sir. Colonel! 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 Oh, yes, gentlemen. Can you give us a statement now, sir? How was your interview with the president? It was fine, fine. And what was your purpose in seeing the president, sir? Well, I don't mind if I tell you. I suggested to him that I be allowed to raise a volunteer division for immediate service at the front. Oh, that's news, sir. But I want to make one thing clear. I am heart and soul for universal military training and service. We need total forces of several millions of men. My division, however, would not be raised by conscription. It will be purely voluntary. And I would not accept men who might otherwise be called into service. Uh, Colonel... How did the president take to your idea? Why, gentlemen, he received me with the utmost courtesy and consideration. I'm sure he'll come to a favorable decision about my suggestion in his own good time. And uh, who would command your division, Colonel? Why, I would, of course. Oh, thank you, Colonel. That is news. Headlines, Miss Sarah, ex-president to command the volunteer division, ready to lead aggressive warfare. I'm very sorry he did that. Sorry? I don't understand, Mr. President. I'm afraid he's forgotten he's not the president anymore. But his support is important, isn't it? Ex-president, leader of the opposition party, millions of people worship him. I know, I know. That's just why he can be so dangerous. The colonel is an admirable man and a patriotic citizen, but believe me, he is not a military leader for all that. But you do need enthusiasm for the war, Mr. President. I'm afraid of his kind of enthusiasm, Miss Sora. It makes people think war is glorious, flying flags, brass bands, all the old-style trappings. It'll make them think we can win this war with a few volunteer divisions. It'll be more of a shock when they find out it's going to take millions of men and years of effort. Mr. President... What are you going to do about his offer to help? Ah, that's the problem, Miss Sarah. What if I should accept his offer? What if I should send him overseas, a political general? What about our allies? What will they think? You know the colonel. Well, he's a man with ideas of his own. Yes, and he'll tell everybody else what to do. He'll treat our generals like privates. Mm. And they won't like that. And just suppose he doesn't want to take orders. Can you imagine our general staff court-martialing him? A beloved ex-president of the United States? And if I refuse his offer, what then? What will the people think about that? Miss Sarah, will you get me the Secretary of War, please? Yes, I know, Mr. President. I've read his statement in the press. Well, what do you think about it, Brad? I don't like it. I don't know what it'll do to the morale of our general staff. They won't stand for a private army... The chief has already been to see me. He's very upset about it, Mr. President. He's flatly, bitterly opposed to appointing any high officers who are not professional army men. And so am I. Then you and I and he are in perfect agreement. Absolutely, sir. This is serious. And I know the colonel. I knew him when he was president. He'll stop at nothing to get his way. If you turn down his offer, he'll say it's because he belongs to the opposition party. That you're playing politics. I've had worse things said about me, Bradford. I've had a little time to think about this, but... I'm sure the colonel's idea just came out of his excessive enthusiasm. The trouble is, if he goes ahead with it, the people will think that the entire army can be raised by volunteer recruiting. They'll point to him as proof. Well, we'll have to beat him to the punch, that's all. Yes, but how? Well, you've got the selected service bill, haven't you? Well, yes, we just finished the final draft. Good, send it to Congress. Get it passed before the colonel has time to organize his volunteer division. Oh, yes, yes, that's all very well, Mr. President. 
But don't forget the colonel still has tremendous influence with the opposition party. And we must have the support of Senator Johns and his cohorts to pass that bill. Very well, then. Our job is to convince Senator Johns and his friends how important it is to get the Selective Service Bill passed and to get it passed fast. Senator Johns, I know what the president's going to do now. He's going to push that selective service bill through Congress, and he's going to try to get it through as fast as he can. That's right, Colonel. That's what I came to New York to see you about. I've already been approached. The bill is being presented to Congress tomorrow. Ah. Well, the president wastes no time, does he? Tell me, Colonel, has he given you any further word about your request to raise a division? No. I suppose he thinks by ignoring me, I'll just drop the whole matter. Will you? Senator, I'm just as eager to win this war as the president. You know, Senator, <laughs> there are always two ways to skin a cat. Oh. Yes, Colonel? We'll support the President's bill. And you, Senator, will go yourself and tell him that we're in complete accord with him. Mr. President, Senator Johns is waiting to see you. Well, I wonder what kind of a bargain he's going to drive. Now, show him in, Miss Sarah. Don't take Senator Johns too serious. Miss Sarah, I have to. He's the leader of the opposition. Go right in, Senator. Well, thank you. Mr. President. Come right in, Senator. I'm glad you came. I've been wanting to talk to you. Yes, Mr. President. I don't know whether you realize what a desperate situation we're really in. There's only one solution, universal training, selective service. The sooner we can establish... Excuse me, Mr. President. I think I can save you a lot of trouble. But, Senator, I... I... have just had a meeting with the Colonel. We discussed your selective service bill. We're both for There's it. nothing must stand in the way of this thing. I beg your pardon? I said both the Colonel and I will support it. Well, Senator, thank you, thank you. And uh, would you tell the Colonel for me that I appreciate his loyalty? I will, Mr. President. And would you say stay for luncheon? I, I'm sorry I can't. Some other time. Well, Senator, I'm glad I can count on you. And thank you again. Good day, Mr. President. Good day, Senator Johns. Good day. Uh, Mr. President. Yes, Ralph. Oh, luncheon. Well, Mr. President, I brought in the tray, but I can come back a little later. Why? I thought maybe you'd want to relax and sort of work up an appetite. Why, Ralph? Well, now, Senator Jones was just in here, and... Well, you know, Mr. President, every time that a senator comes, here you'll lose your appetite for food. You're very perceptive, Ralph. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. I'll just go on out now and come back in later with the tray. Well, you can go out, Ralph, but leave the tray right here, please. Huh? <laughs> well, that's much better, Mr. President. I guess you didn't lose your appetite after all. Now, let's see what we have here. Mm-hmm. Onion soup. Oh, that's fine. Green salad, potatoes are good. Then pie. Ralph. What's the matter, sir? There's only one chop. But whenever Senator John visits the White House, I only serve one chop. And you never eat that one. Well, the word world changes, Ralph, and so does my appetite. Yes, sir. I want to celebrate. Senator John's promised to support my bill. I'll take the other chop when you come back right in, eh, Ralph? <laughs> Colonel, I'd like a statement from you. Yes? Is it true that you're going to support the administration's selective service bill? I am. <laughs> uh, but, Colonel, Colonel, isn't it true that the president has refused your request for a volunteer division? That has no bearing upon the question. But, Senator... Excuse me, gentlemen, I have to see Senator John. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, right. Right. Wait a minute. 
Come in. Ah, Senator John. Oh, hello, Colonel. Come right in. Senator, I've been thinking about this bill. You haven't changed your mind, Colonel. No, no, I still want you to support it, but uh, I've worked out a little plan. I want this additional clause attached to it. Good. Hey, let me see it. I don't think the president can object to that, do you? I don't think he'd dare if he wants his bill. <laughs> this is something I can sell to both sides. That's right, Senator. The Selective Service bill will give the president what he wants, and this rider to the bill will give me what I want. Yes, sir. Both houses ratified it with good majority. Oh, that's fine. But do you know what they've done, Mr. President? They've tacked on a rider permitting the raising of volunteer divisions. Who did? It was suggested by Senator Johns, and everybody understands it was done to give the colonel the chance he wants. I am absolutely opposed to it, Brad. Yes, I am too, sir. It's nothing but a cheap trick. Everybody in the War Department and the High Command... Well, how do you think the generals feel about two armies? How can they establish any discipline? Look, Mr. President, we're trying to organize an army, but this can destroy our morale before we even get started. I know with this loophole, the colonel will go ahead with his plan. Yes, and there's nothing to stop him. I can stop him as commander-in-chief. I don't have to give him his appointment. But that would split the country wide open. I know, and if I do give it to him, we might jeopardize our chances of winning the war. Well, what are you going to do, Mr. President? I don't know. I don't know. of men who want to fight, not next year, but now. That's the kind of a man I want. These are the kind of men our allies need. These are the men who will show the world how America fights. What are we waiting for? The enemy isn't waiting. The sooner we meet him, the sooner the victory will be ours. is at stake. Our allies are crying for men. What is your answer? We're all for you, Colonel. John, John, look at this. Hmm? Enlistments are reaching my New York office at the rate of more than 2,000 a day. I am now able to offer the government not just one division, but 250,000 men. What about the president, Colonel? What do you think he'll do? Well, I hope he'll see reason this time, Senator. But if not, if he refuses to give me command of these men, then he'll prove his hypocrisy, his inefficiency. He'll prove he's ready to sacrifice any patriotic motive to his own political benefit. Colonel, all I can say is we're back of you. Yes, I know that. Now that I have my army, just let the president try to turn me down. (laughs) 
you see, Mr. President, the men of America are not waiting to be drafted. They want to fight and fight now. Colonel, from the beginning I had hoped you'd realize yourself that your plan was wrong for the country and impossible. Impossible? In a few weeks, I'll have 250,000 men. What's impossible about that? When you came to me right after the declaration of war, I was honored to have your support. It was a splendid demonstration of our national unity. And you must have known how happy I was when you gave your approval to my Selective Service Bill. But on both occasions, I tried to make my feelings clear about your leading a volunteer division. They were your feelings, Mr. President. I have mine. Of course, but it happens that I am president now and not you. I have the final authority and responsibility now and not you. That is an entirely needless reminder, sir. But I wish to remind you, Colonel, that while you and your friend Senator John so eagerly supported my Selective Service Bill, you deliberately attached a rider which I knew nothing about. A rider to suit suit your own purposes. Apparently, the Congress of the United States approved of what you call my own purposes. And for weeks now, you've been running a recruiting office in New York, talked about the plan to the press, and in a dozen other ways, behaved as if you'd been given the authority to command a private army. Congress has given me authority. Congress has allowed the recruiting of volunteers. I make the appointments of who shall lead them. Mr. President, you'll have to answer to 250,000 men who want to fight with me. Colonel, you still have the misconception that this is entirely your war. At least I'm doing something about it. You have been embarrassing us. That's what you've been doing. You've distracted people from the grimness of what we are up against. You've beaten a drum when we need to sharpen our weapons. I know what we're up against, and that's why I want to help my country. I don't see why the... Mr. President... I beg you to let me go into action. Colonel, if I agreed, you would be merely a political general. An officer appointed because he has political influence. I am the retired commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy, and I'm eligible for any command. I am the commander-in-chief now, and that certainly doesn't qualify me to command even a squad of infantry in action or a Navy launch. There's no sense in arguing, Mr. President. I understand your reasons. And I don't hesitate to call them what they are, purely political. If I wanted to play politics, all I'd have to do is to appoint you as you want me to. That would pull the teeth out of all opposition I have in Congress. That would be politics. And I suppose your refusal to appoint me is not politics. Many people have, during this crisis, put aside their partisan interests and have offered their services without strings, Colonel. For instance, there is another ex-president who was also once commander-in-chief. He has not asked to command troops, but he is no less loyal than you are. Mr. President... I misjudged you. I had hoped our nation would have a big man to lead it through this crisis. Well, perhaps I'm not a big man. But, Colonel, you force me to say things I don't want to say. Not for one moment have I ever questioned your patriotism or your zeal. But I do question your actions when vanity and personal desire have replaced common sense and intelligence. And I question you, Mr. President. And I'm sure that the people of this country will question you. For obstructing 250,000 men who want to fight for their country. Colonel, I have tried every avenue to convince you that you are wrong. I presented all my arguments. I've tried logic, tried to show you the grave responsibility you would be assuming. Colonel, you know about the Gallipoli campaign, don't you? Yes, yes, of course. That sounded like a good idea. And what happened? Uh, It was bad strategy, wrong timing, poor disposal of forces. In fact, Mr. President, it only seemed like a good idea. It turned out to be a horrible waste of lives. And to try to redeem the mistake, more men were sacrificed. Men who had neither proper training nor equipment. Isn't that true, Colonel? Uh, Yes, but I can't... That's what I'm afraid of, Colonel. 
I don't want us to make a mistake like that. Do you? Mr. President, you don't mean to imply I that I have... I have nothing. You yourself have told me the price of a wrong decision, the cost of an ill-timed adventure. Colonel, millions of people are devoted to you. Now, whether or not they continue to think of you as the beloved colonel or as the instigator of a new Gallipoli, I leave it with you. You mean I am to decide? Yes, Colonel. The decision and the responsibility. I leave with you. Very well, Mr. President. Good day, sir. Goodbye, Colonel. Why don't you sit down? Pacing the floor won't help. No, I guess you're right, Miss Sam. I wish I knew what would help. What if the colonel decides he still wants the command? You'll have to give in to him then, won't you? I put the final decision up to him, Miss Sam. I'll have to stand by it. Why did you do it? I had no choice. I tried every, every avenue, logic, sentiment. I offended him. I made him angry. Miss Sarah, do you realize what one man with a following like the colonel's, who is as stubborn as the colonel, and who insists on having his own way, can do to a country? Excuse me, Mr. President. Surely. A letter from Mr. President. Thank you. I'll take it. Here you are, Mr. President. Colonel. Oh. <laughs> Listen. Mr. President, today for the first time I realize that I'm an old man and I am no more qualified to lead troops in the field than you are. <laughs> Mr. President, I am grateful you left the final decision up to me. You know what happened to me today? One of my sons enlisted in the United States Army. I know now this is a young man's war, my son's war. You and I, we're just a couple of old duffers. We may not be able to serve on the firing line, but we can, to the best of our ability, help our sons by doing everything possible here at home. Mr. President, please believe me. I shall serve in any capacity that you, as my commander-in-chief, may desire, down to and including sergeant. Sincerely yours. That's a beautiful letter. It took a great deal of humility to write that. Miss Sarah, a great man wrote that. But look, Miss Sarah, am I an old duffer? Oh! Of course not. You're only as old as you think. Well, maybe I'd better begin to think how old I think I am. Well, <laughs> you'll never have to worry, Mr. President. How old are you, Miss Sarah? What's that got to do with it? Well, I just wondered how old you are, that's all. Well, do, you, do 
you think I'm too old? No, no, never. Only confound old... <laughs> How old are you, anyway? I, uh... I'm, uh... 21 plus. <laughs> Good night, Mr. President. Good night, Miss Sarah. Good night. <laughs> well, have you guessed which president this story happened to? The time was 1917, and Mr. President then was Woodrow Wilson. And the colonel, of course, was ex-president Theodore Roosevelt, whose great patriotism led him into the quarrel with the president, which became very embarrassing to them before it ended. In the end, however, he did admit that the president had been right. Come and see me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you about the White House and Mr. President. I'm sure you'll enjoy. Good night. Arnold appears as Mr. President by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. Producers of Sinclair Lewis, Cass Timberlane, starring Spencer Tracy, Lana Turner, and Zachary Scott. <laughs> Mr. President is presented each week by the American Broadcasting Company. It is produced by Robert G. Jennings, directed by Dwight Hauser. Miss Sarah was played by Betty Lou Gerson. Tonight's story by Paul R. Milton was suggested by incidents in the administration of President Woodrow Wilson. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adams. Sure to listen again next week when Edward Arnold brings you another story of Mr. President. Now, here's a special program note. What should we do to check rising prices? Be sure to hear this important question discussed on America's town meeting next Tuesday night. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.